Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fourth episode of Weaving Myths Season 2. Weaving Myths is a podcast focused on tabletop role-playing games and specifically playing them through the play-by-post format. I'm your host, Nathan, and joining me today is Ruben. Hello, hello. We are all, or we're both, in this case, moderators on Mythweavers, a play-by-post gaming website, and we're here to help you bring your game to the next level. If you're not familiar with Mythweavers, you can find it at myth-weavers.com. As always, we are joined by the impeccable text chat, which members of Mythweavers are using right now to ask questions and contribute to the discussion. If you, too, would like to be part of the text chat, feel free to join us on the Mythweavers Discord server every other Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. This week, we're going to be taking a very in-depth look at the game system of Fate, uh, also known as Fate Core, and I believe it's a derivative of Fudge. Uh, so both Ruben and I have some pretty decent experience with that, and I know we both love the system, so we're going to talk about that tonight. Uh, after that, we'll open the floor to a live Q&A session from the text chat where anyone can ask us anything, be it about Mythweavers, gaming, or anything else they want to know. So, without any further ado, uh, Ruben, what's Fate? All right, Fate, obviously, is an RPG. Specifically, it's a kind of a rules medium RPG that focuses more on the narrative of the game instead of the mechanics, or rather the mechanics are narrative-based. Uh, it was based on, it's based on Fudge, which was the first system to use uh, Fudge dice or Fate dice. Uh, but a game company called Evil Hat started refining it, oh man, quite a while, probably a decade ago now. Uh, was Spirit of the Century. And since then, they've put out progressively more refined systems. Uh, well, not systems. More refined versions of the system. And now there's uh, quite a few very good variants. Yep. And for those of you curious, Fate is avail- available in two different forms. The first is, of course, the physical copy of the books, which is a very gorgeous hardcover. And then it's also available in a pay-what-you-want format for PDF, uh, it starts at $5, but you can increase that if you feel like the system is worth more than that. Uh, Fate also has a robust SRD online, so technically the rules are available for free for everybody. Um, and that is the link that Ruben has just put into the text chat. Uh, I'll mention this is probably one of the best SRDs I've seen. It's got not only just the core rules, but it's got almost all the supplements they've put out too. So if they put out a supplement that change the rules, it's on the SRD. And speaking of supplements, one of those is Fate Accelerated. So you have two forms of Fate. You have Fate Core and Fate Accelerated. Fate Core is kind of the more rules-heavy version. Uh, Fate Accelerated, from my experience, is kind of designed as a pick-up-and-play style of game. Um, it's got a lot less rules and a lot more room for interpretation, whereas... Um, go ahead. It's got... the. It's got the same amount of rules. About the only thing they actually change between Accelerated and Core is Fate Core uses skills. Kind of a more traditional skill list like everybody is used to. Fate Accelerated uses approaches, which are how you do something. So instead of having something like 15 or 20 skills to choose from, you just have six approaches. We are right, mate. It's really good for pick up and play. Yeah, so ultimately, Fate Accelerated is if you say, hey, let's give this a try... Whereas Fate Core is, hey, we're going to kind of commit to this and get into it for a few sessions in a row. Yeah, they're both actually, Evil Hat has been said, they're both Fate. They're just two different ways of doing Fate. Although, speaking of pick up and play, uh, I had a new player join our group, and I just wanted to introduce everybody because we didn't have a full group. 
I ran a Fate Accelerated Supers game on the fly, and people were done with character generation in, like, 20 minutes. That's really good for character generation. Like, I mean, D&D, easily an hour plus, and then, like, Shadowrun, you're talking two to three hours, probably. So... Mm, we're talking days, probably. Uh, depending, yeah. <laughs> depending on our, how... Our, it depends on how experienced your group is, as to how long it actually takes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, most of the times with Shadowrun, I at least put aside an entire session just for character generation. Absolutely. It's a beast. So, yeah. And the nice thing about this is it's like Savage Worlds or GURPS or something. It's kind of a generic system in that it will cover everything from fantasy to cyberpunk. So long as you kind of want a slightly narrative-focused game and you don't need a bunch of crunch or, like, gear porn, it will work for almost anything. And I'll also throw out there, uh, fantasy and cyberpunk are just a couple of the examples. I mean, I've seen everything from post-apocalyptic to, like, just modern-day, everyday people to superheroes to, I mean, straight-up complete sci-fi. Like, you can do literally anything with this system. Uh, yeah, it's really great. I mean, for my own examples, even just counting one-shots, I've done zombie survival, Shadowrun, superheroes, fantasy... And an XCOM knockoff. And they all worked. Yep. And the way they all worked is Fate uses special Fate-specific dice, which is a set of four special six-sided dice. Um, they have two plus symbols, two minus symbols, and two blank sides. So you roll all four together to get any result from minus four to plus four, uh, with the median being plus zero. Uh, I will note that Mythweavers handles Fate dice just as well as any other dice out there. Um, the difference is you have to use a capital F as the sides of the dice instead of like... So normally you do like 3D6. Instead you do 4DF, capital F. Right. Uh, if you don't do this, uh, the side will spit out a plus four every single time. So remember the capital F. And so... We said you can do a lot of genres. Other good news, this setting has so many different, or this system has so many different settings that are done out of the box. Just a few are like Atomic Robo, uh, The Day After Ragnarok, Diaspora, which is a really awesome hard sci-fi that has some really cool like system creation rules you can use almost anywhere. Doe, Fate of the Flying Temple, which is great for kids. It's like Avatar, but friendlier. The Dresden Files, Houses of the Blooded, Jade Punk, Legends of Anglair, which is fantasy, The Secrets of Cats, where you play sentient magic-using cats, uh, Shadow of the Century, which is like 80s action movies. Uh, like, we ran a really cool kind of um, homage to Big Trouble Little China using that. Spirit of the Century, which is awesome pulp adventures. Starblazer Adventures, which is your sci-fi. Wearing the Cape, which is your superheroes. Now... In addition to those, as if that wasn't enough already, there's also the Worlds of Adventure, which are much shorter supplements that detail a variety of different settings that you can use with Fate. Um, all of them are available as pay-what-you-want starting at $0, so you can absolutely get those for free. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head. I haven't used Fate nearly as much as Ruben. I'll go ahead and admit that. But, um, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, there's tons of them. Uh, a couple of my favorites are Camelot Trigger, which is Arthurian mecha-wary knights in space. 
uh, Wild Blue, which are Western superheroes. So you're like a Western hero with like one superpower. Uh, the Secrets of Cats, which I talked about. Shadow of the Century, which is awesome 80s action movie. Uh, oh, I'm reading the wrong thing. Uh, Save Game, which is you're like the old 8-bit heroes after your realm where you're retired is being evaded by a virus. So it's kind of like Wreck-It Ralph meets Reboot. Uh, and Masters of Umdar, which is a very loving homage to He-Man. I mean, who didn't love He-Man? Come on. <laughs> he had the power. So, uh, we've talked about what you can use the system for. Let's talk about how you actually use the system. The mechanics that make the system work. Uh, the first thing I would like to bring up is fate points. So, fate points are basically the economy of the system. So you gain and spend these points during play. So you start with at least one, and some characters can even start with up to three. Um, so you earn more fate points through compels, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but in essence, they are restrictions or suggested actions based on the aspects of your character. So... Fate points, you use them throughout gameplay to, if if my understanding is correct, you basically change what's happening using your fate points. It's more like um, uh, fate points are the fuel for the system. Uh, also, I should point out, all characters start with three. Some can start with as few as one if they trade some of their refresh for starts. I wrote that wrong. So the first thing you can spend your fate points on are aspects. Aspects are the narrative truths of the system, and pretty much everything in the game has an aspect. That cool, the Master Sword that Link is wearing or using, that has an aspect. Link himself has an aspect. Um, the Kokiri Forest would have aspects. Everything has aspects. And you can do two things with aspects. You can either invoke an aspect by spending a fate point. When you invoke an aspect, you get a bonus, or can kind of declare a narrative truth. So, um, right. So, and for characters, they have a, a couple of different flavors of aspect. You have your high concept, which is basically the big concept for your character. And then you have a trouble, which is the thing that makes trouble for your character. And then you have a few others. Like, for an example, let's take one of my favorite heroes, Superman. Superman's high concept is definitely last son of Krypton. His trouble is probably Metropolis has hit points, I don't. So his high concept has with it a few narrative truths. We know the last son of Krypton under a yellow sun can fly. He's super strong. He's really tough. And all the things you think Superman should do. Those are just narrative truths. He doesn't have to spend skills or anything to be able to do these things. And then his trouble, well, his trouble is what makes trouble for him. And when your trouble is compelled, which is the GM will go, Hey, I'm going to compel your uh, your trouble. And when you can get compelled, you get a fate point, but then your actions are sort of restricted. So Tiff points out that uh, Superman's trouble is also probably just City of Cardboard. Basically, whenever Lois Lane gets kidnapped or Jimmy Olsen drinks that weird potion and becomes a 30-foot-tall monster, that's the GM compelling Superman's trouble to make the situation more interesting for him, and Superman gets a fate point for it. So I'll ask because I don't, I'm sure other people will have this question, but when you say restrict the actions of somebody, does that mean like there are things they, 
must do or things they can't do? Or is it a mix of both? It's it's a mix of both, and it's never an absolute. And I should point out, if you do get compelled, the GM will offer you a fate point. You can say, no, I really don't want to do that. I mean, Superman wants to sit down and have tea. He doesn't want to go rescue Lois. You can give him one of your fate points to resist compel. And then sometimes the GM can go, no, I really think you ought to go rescue Lois. Here's two fate points. And now Superman has to pay two fate points to avoid it. I mean, you shouldn't do that too often, but yeah. And troubles are never outright denials. Uh, a lot of times troubles are going to be used by the GM to just make the situation more interesting. Not so much, you must go rescue Lois Lane. It's more like, oh, look, Darkseid has uh, kidnapped Lois Lane. So for another example... Uh, we'll, we'll use everybody's favorite sexy space cowboy, Malcolm Reynolds. Um, I know there is a specific system for serenity, but fate could easily be used for serenity. Um, so his high concept is probably something align along the lines of brown coat captain of the serenity. And that's a really, like, it's not the perfect high concept. It's, it's kind of generic almost. You generally want to make your aspects a little bit more interesting than just who the person is. Uh, you want to make it descriptive, but also, mm, what's the word I'm looking for? Succinct. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to just tell people who you are. You want to tell them how he's going to behave, what he's going to do. Like, um, yeah, Chimi has a great word here for it. Evocative. You want to make it so that you can get an idea of who this person is from their high concept. Yeah. Um, and aspects are just really, they take a long time to kind of get really pithy. The important thing isn't so much what the words are, it's that the table understands what the aspect represents. I mean, the last of the Krypton is gibberish unless you've defined what the Kryptonians can do. Sure, it has to make sense within the context of the game. So, to continue the example... Malcolm Reynolds, his his trouble is probably something along the lines of things never go smoothly, right? So there's always going to be something that kind of complicates whatever situation he's in. Yeah, it probably gets compelled a lot. Yeah, that's one that would be compelled quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, and the advantage... So, I mean, a lot of people, why don't I have all the aspects that are just super awesome? Like, why don't I have unkillable killable assassin and I'm a billionaire and other stuff like that. The answer is you want to be compelled. When you are compelled, it moves the story along and you earn more fate points. And if I understand correctly, in return, you can compel people you meet. So, oh, yeah. so it's not just a one way street. It's not just the GM saying, Hey, I'm going to compel you. It's, Hey, now I'm going to compel him rather than, so it's it's a give and take. You want to work back and forth with the GM um, to, A, keep the story moving, but also to make it so that interesting ha things happen, not just to you as a player, but also to your GM that they have to adapt to as well. Right. And Superman has been compelled like five or six times because Jimmy Olsen turned into a giant monster and Lois Lane got kidnapped and he had to rescue a building. But now he's up against Lex Luthor, and he knows Lex Luthor probably has to trouble something like villainous monologuer. And he compels that and hands one of his fate points to the GM. And now Lex has to talk about his great and grandiose plan to take over Metropolis. 
which can give him an advantage. He can take an action or like the, the, the rules aren't as concrete as like D and D where you have a move action and attack action, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's kind of, it has to fit into the narrative rather than saying you can do X, Y, Z on your turn. It's more, you can kind of do anything at any time as long as it fits the story. Right. And everything has aspects. Like if I walk into an old warehouse, it probably has the aspects of lots of crates, dark corners, and probably something like big catwalk. Well, if I'm trying to sneak around, I can invoke those aspects to make my uh, stealth better. So yeah, uh, pretty much understanding aspects is the key to understanding fate. And once you kind of wrap your head around them, well, uh, you pretty much know the entire system. And you can kind of almost play fate with nothing but aspects. But that would be a little boring, which is why we have skills and approaches. Those are how you do things. Skills are pretty much, you know, skills, like in every other game. So you have, like, fight and deceive and provoke and stuff like that. Skills are what you can do. And you have them rated in a pyramid, starting with the high skills down to yellow skills. Or if you're playing something based on accelerated, you instead have approaches. Approaches are how you do something. So you can do it forcefully or sneakily or cleverly. So in addition to skills and approaches, you also have stunts. So stunts, I think I could best equate them in other systems to feats, whereas they are special tricks and talents your specific character has that not necessarily anyone else might have. Um, they give you a bonus in a spe- to a specific action in a specific circumstance. So, um, I'm struggling with an example, but like, say you're trying to sneak around and it's dark and you have a stunt that gives you an, a bonus when it's dark and you're trying to sneak around. So it's, it's, Art. oh, go ahead. Uh, if I'm the Hulk, I have strongest there is, which gives Hulk plus two to his physique when lifting or bending things. So long as he is the Hulk, it's basically Plus two to an action with a skill in a specific circumstance. And on the flip side of that, you can also have stress and consequences. So stress is very similar to hit points in other systems. Um, they have a certain amount of stress that represents, you know, near misses, being rattled, um, injured even. So if your stress gets high enough, then at some point, you're po- you're at potential to be taken out of the action. And if you can't take the stress hit, then instead you take a consequence. So a consequence is basically a temporary trouble aspect that your GM or enemies can invoke to make things more difficult for you. Uh, consequences can range from anything to, like, be having a broken leg to being shamed in public. So it's basically anything that you can't immediately get rid of. And consequences come in, like, three or four different flavors. You have, like, a minor consequence, which can take out a two-stress hit. And that's like, I'm bruised. And then you have all the way up to a severe, which can take a minus six or six stress. And that would be, like, broken leg. And some places use extreme consequences, which is like, I got my left hand burned all to crap. And that would be minus eight, but that really sticks around. Consequences eventually go away as they heal. And then you also have a few things that other settings will add. Uh, some settings have things called extras, 
which are kind of like stunts. They're unique things you can do, and they're kind of different with each setting. And then some of the newer games also have mantles. Mantles are a little kind of like a class, and it's a collection of stuff you get. And then mantles add conditions, which are kind of like their own little stress tracks that you can check off to do special things. Mantles were added with Dresden Files Accelerated, and they're actually pretty key. And I think the regular Dresden Files RPG also has uh, magic as one of its extras, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so the original Dresden Files makes extensive use of extras with powers, and you pay for power, uh, powers with refresh. Refresh is how many fake points you start the game with, and so their power is a little more codified. And then you have things like Atomic Robo. Atomic Robo introduces modes which are like skill packages you rank. Speaking of ranking, that brings up the Fate Ladder and the Skill Pyramid. So all skills and things are pretty much ranked from Legendary, which is a plus eight, all the way to Terrible at minus two. Considering the average of a Fate roll is plus zero, there's a pretty good range. Uh, most characters will start with one great skill at plus four, two at good at plus three, three at fair at plus two, and four at average at plus one. If you're using approaches, then you get like one plus three approach, two plus two approaches, and like three plus one approaches. Now, of course, with any skill, as the game goes on, you can get skill points to improve your older, your, your other skills. So you can't, so the way the pyramid works is you can't have more higher ranked skills than the skills below it. So what that means is you have one skill at great, which is plus four. That means you can't have more than two great skills, assuming you have two good skills. So it's like a pyramid. On the bottom, you've got four, and then the next level, you've got three, the next level, you've got two, and at the top, you've got one. So it it's literally a pyramid, and it can't change from a pyramid shape. So you could have four... Or I, I suppose you could have like four, five, I'm trying to come up with this off the top of my head. It's like five, four, three, three, two, one. I think you can do something like that. Yeah, basically, you just have to have a number of skills below your highest skill equal to or more than the highest skill. Oh, okay. So you, so- could, you could have something as simple as like four, 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 one, if you're going from bottom to top, right? Yeah. Yeah, if you're going from bottom to top. Or you could have just two, 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 two. Okay. Yeah, it's basically a way to avoid everybody just raising a couple of skills. If you want to get better at one thing, you kind of have to get better at a few other things as well. And then with skills, you can take four actions. The entire system and the resolution is broken down into four different actions. First action you can take is creating an advantage. This is in every movie when you see the hero aim down on somebody or you see Indy uses whip to swing across a chasm. Or, you know, the hero reads through the ancient tome and finds a spell. Creating advantages is basically any way to give yourself some edge up. And when you do that, uh, you roll your appropriate skill, and you create temporary aspects. And when you create the aspect, you get a free invoke on it. So you don't have to spend a fate point on it. What this means is... You, this game supports a character who's like just a pure scientist who never wants to raise a weapon, and all he does, all fight, is point out flaws in the enemy's armor, or come up with factoids, or like rig the control panel to explode. This guy in combat is doing nothing but creating advantages, but he's creating aspects to pass to his friends, and then they invoke them, and therefore he's really contributing 
while just being the smart guy. It's a, it's a really good way for everybody to get involved in every situation, I think. Oh, Re- yeah. Regardless of what the situation is. So, like, everybody always has something they can do. Yep. So, speaking of other things you can do, you can also overcome. So, when you overcome something, it's how you deal with obstacles of basically any sort. Um, it This can be anything from breaking down a door to climbing a wall... Um, you can also use it to navigate your ship through an asteroid field or like even decipher a tome of ancient magic. This is anything that lets you overcome a problem that is facing your character. Right. But when you're up against something that is not passive and is actually going to fight back, then you're going to want to take the attack action. Attack is how you deal stress to things. It could be as simple as I stab him with my sword or as cool as... Well, I'm going to glare at him with my steely glare while I flex my fingers over my gun and kind of invoke, like, fear. Or you can attack, like, system. I'm a hacker. I'm going to attack the firewall. Everything like that is modeled in attack. But if I'm attacking you, I can do what, Nate? You can defend, Ruben. So defend, obviously, is what you want to do when you want to avoid an attack. So you have defend with different skills or approaches depending on the attack, but... You might also defend against things like the environment. So if the GM says rocks fall, then you say, okay, I'm going to defend. Um, so the, the attack and defend skills are very interconnected. You want to defend against attacks and you want to attack against defend. Right. And they all have different. Yeah. And you can use a lot of different skills to attack and defend depending on the situation. This is not a system that kind of really differentiates between like, combat skills and non-combat skills. Almost any skill could be used to attack or defend in certain situations. So this next one I will admit I have never heard of. Um, So I'm going to let Ruben take it. It's called the Fate Fractal. Right. So the Fate Fractal, one of the absolute beauties of Fate is that you can model anything as a character. It's basically aspects and skills all the way down and all the way up. So... Maybe you're playing a game like Birthright, where you have, like, all these kingdoms going against you. Well, you can actually model the kingdom itself as a character. The kingdom has skills. The kingdom has aspects. The kingdom has stunts. So now, if you want to, like, send the good kingdom of Zoloff against the evil kingdom of Zokor, you, uh, you have them roll their separate skills. You have them roll their fight skills. Maybe Zoloft doesn't have much of an army, so their, like, fight is at plus two. But, like, Zokar has all the evil, terrible monsters, and so they have a plus four. But then, maybe the characters want to make up the difference. So the characters create advantages that the kingdom can use. Huh. Yeah. By the way, I use drug names because it was an old joke that some of my friends... I had a friend in medical school, they said they play Princess, Kingdom, or Evil Wizard... And whenever they find a drug game, they have to figure out which one of the three it is. Uh, also, you can do, like, the Fate Fractal with vehicles. You better bet the Serenity has its own character sheet, and it's modeled just like a character. It's got shoot, and it's got, like, physique, representing how tough the hull is. So, then, like, so like you could go even smaller, even. You could go, like, all the way down. So, uh, you mentioned Zelda earlier, so we'll continue that example. So, like, you could even give the Master Sword its own character sheet, basically. Yeah. I mean, the Master Sword probably doesn't have any skills, but it would certainly have stunts. They'd probably be stunts that actually Link could use, and it would definitely have aspects. Huh. Okay. 
Ruben, why I do you do this to me? You give me so many ideas for things now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it uh, looks like uh, a various actually just linked the Firefly sheet uh, from his Firefly game. That's a great example. Yeah, no, the Fate Fractal is one of the most powerful things about Fate, and it's one of the things the fewest people know about. Huh. Okay. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to look into that some more because that's really cool. Right. And when you use the Fractal, it's very likely something like a Kingdom isn't gonna have the same skills as a character, although it very well could be. It's just their fight represents the power of their army, whereas with the character, it's how good you are with a sword. Their resources is like the resources of the Kingdom. Yeah, it's super useful. I've used it uh, for all sorts of things. Even to the point, like, I actually use it to model a magical disease. Huh. Alrighty. So, Interesting. Yeah, it's... So, uh, how about moving around, uh, Nate? How do you do that? So, um, Fate... This I do know, actually, quite well. Uh, Fate handles moving around, especially in, like, combat situations, with zones. So... Zone, so an area, so say you have a warehouse, you would break that area up into zones. And zones don't have a specific size or shape. Um, you can generally move between the zones for free. Um, but moving more than one zone can sometimes take an action. It depends a lot on the circumstances. But zones themselves can also have aspects or these things where like, for example, if it's a warehouse, one zone might be littered with so many boxes that it's hard to pass through. Or um, it can also be used to measure distance. So, like, if I'm in one zone and I have a gun, I might only be able to hit people that are one or two zones away from me. Again, it depends a lot on the situation, but zones are kind of flexible in that way where you don't say, okay, well, I have a bow, so I can shoot somebody who's within five squares of me. It so It's way more flexible than that, where you can basically make the zones into anything you want to fit the situation. I hope, oh. I, hope I got that right. <laughs> yeah. I had to turn my mic back on. Um, so, another couple of cool things with zones. Uh, one... If zones are particularly hard to move between, like, say, I have a second floor balcony, you can do a zone border, and that becomes a difficulty you have to overcome to get between the zones. Uh, the other thing, as with characters, zones are also fractal. So zones can change during a fight. To give an example, I've been running a Wearing the Cape, which is a fate superhero setting, uh, college game. And to start out, all my characters were, like, on the front uh, quad of the dorms, and so I had zones for that. Then when a fight broke out kind of over more of the campus, I shifted the zones into four bigger zones. Yeah, they're really, really powerful and really, really useful. And in play-by-post, they're super easy to use. You don't need any sort of fancy battle map. You don't have to grid things out. I mean, I personally actually just use a, um, a table. So I'll use the table tags and just lay the zones out in kind of table order. And then I can list the aspects for that zone right in the table. It's easy. People can look at it. It doesn't take hardly any time at all. And, and then people just... Sorry, go ahead. Nope, go ahead. Finish your thought. So when characters move, all they have to tell me is, I am moving to the overhead balcony zone. Yep. And what I was going to say is that... So zones are not specific to fate. So I've the first place I saw them was in Fate, but they can be adapted to be used with literally any system. 
So D&D can use zones. If you don't want to use a battle map, use zones instead. It's way easier and you don't have to worry about tracking squares and like, okay, this square is on a balcony, so it's four squares up. And now you have to do the Pythagorean theorem to figure out how far away somebody is. Like it zones make any system on play by post combat so much easier. Oh, truth. Uh, I only use zones in all my games. Like, it's super easy, and it's super intuitive, and it works for every system. Uh, Mick the Rogue, I would just like to point out that I am a math major, so it's not that I hate math, it's that when I'm trying to run combat on play-by-post, I want it to be as easy as possible. Hey, I'm the dumb artist, I'm the one that hates math. (laughs) Not really, I kind of like math, but... Um, So yeah, we've talked a lot about fate. Uh, What are some of the advantages of fate? I mean, we've said it already, but as a narrative-focused game, Fate is so well-suited for play-by-post. The thing people do the most when we're playing on Mythweavers is we want to write. We want to express our characters, and we want to tell a story, and we want to engage with the fiction, right? So Fate, because the rules kind of take a backseat to the story... It's perfect for play-by-post. The mechanics and the story mesh so flawlessly that they basically are the same thing. Yeah, it's... And kind of to mesh in with that, um, pretty much every action is done with a single roll. Or if they're, like, fighting something, two opposed rolls. So you don't need, like, a roll to hit, a roll to damage, a roll to see if you dodge, a roll to see if you soak. It is just one roll each. And lately... Wearing the cape introduced a variant that lets the players roll all the dice, and so the GM never actually has to roll. So the characters can actually figure out if they hit or missed themselves without feedback from the GM. It's really, really simple, and it's really, really fast. And that really embodies the idea that in Fate, the players have a great deal of agency. So the GM doesn't have to reply to every single post that the players make. Um, sometimes you can just let the players go back and forth for a little while, and that just makes the story flow more naturally, where the players and the GM are all equally powerful, well, not necessarily equally powerful, but everybody has approximately the same hand in terms of moving the story forward. Uh, because it came up, I, I want to explain the player's roll of the dice thing. It's really simple. The GM sets the difficulty of the roll. The difficulty roll is going to be the rating of the defender's defense skill, plus maybe any invokes they want to do. Then the player rolls their attack skill plus eight defudge instead of four. If they beat the difficulty, that's how much they win the attack by. Uh, if they miss it, that's how much they miss by. It's super easy. Um, we already talked about zones. Yep, sure did. <laughs> I just want to talk about it again because they're so good. And they're so easy. Uh, that and I'll talk a bit more about the fractal. It's just so versatile and it's so useful and it's an awesome tool. Yep. I was not aware that fate had the flexibility to model entire like kingdoms. And that alone makes me much, much, much more interested in using the system more frequently. Right. Uh, for an example, diaspora, which is their sci-fi, uh, they use the fractal to handle, uh, planets. And then you can drop down a level and model continents. And then you can drop down another level to handle the spaceport. That and Diaspora has this really cool generation for making like space lanes. It's a really under 
appreciated system. Yep. Uh, also, there are tons of options out there for this. You could play for years using nothing but the worlds of adventure. I mean, and all the world. I mean, oh. with within those, there's bound to be something for basically any type of game you could ever possibly want to run. Oh yeah, just throw me a genre and idea, Nate. Uh, how about cyberpunk superheroes? Oh, Venture City. That was a that was a softball. Yeah, Venture City. They have a cyberpunk superhero setting. Uh, I personally wouldn't use that over wearing the cape because I think wearing the cape does superheroes better. But it's out there. They also yeah. have. Oh, go ahead. They have House of Bards, which is like House of Cards, only in a fantasy setting, using bards as proxies. And I mean, you can't really beat the rules being free. You know, like many systems nowadays are so expensive to buy into, like at a minimum. I mean, heck, even just to use a recent example, Starfinder just came out a couple months ago and the PDF at a minimum is like $15, and which is yeah, it, which is relatively cheap in the grand scheme of things. But like not everybody has that all the time to throw around just to pick up a, a new system. Right. And whereas all the fate rules free on the SRD, it's one of the best linked SRDs I've seen. It's really well produced. And even the rules are pay what you want for five bucks. It's really hard to beat a $5 buy-in. And even all the license settings are actually pretty darn um, reasonably priced. And Evil Hat is really good about giving the PDF out for free if you buy the core book in print. Uh, one last thing I'll mention. On Mythweaver specifically, Fate, it might not be the most popular system out there, but everybody who uses Fate are probably some of the nicest and most knowledgeable people I know. Like, they know the system really well, they are very good at using it, and when they do use it, it's excellent. No, we do not have raises of various. <laughs> uh, I mean, I will point out, uh, I, Chi, uh, Chimi, we're all kind of part of the little fate gang. There's a bunch of us, and we're always happy to answer questions. Yeah, fate players tend to be pretty big evangelists for the system. So... I know we've been kind of singing this system's praises, but what are what are some things that might not be quite so good about Fate? Aspects are tricky. It's one of the hardest things pretty much every player I've met uh, have to deal with. It can take a while to really wrap your head around, A, how powerful they are, and it's kind of hard to come up with a good aspect name. And I find the more a player is used to traditional games like D&D, the harder time they have uh, using fate. Not yep. all the time, but as a general rule. Yep. I actually was just literally last night was talking to a buddy of mine who asked me, Hey, I saw this system called fate. Do you have any thoughts on it? And I said, you know, it's a great system. Don't get me wrong, but coming from D and D people struggle with it because where D and D tells you, this is what your character is and what they can do with fate. You have to come up with that stuff on your own. You can't just look at a list and say, okay, I'm going to be an elf ranger and I'm going to do X, Y, Z. Um, so I meant, I tried to mentally prepare him that you have to be able to come up with things like that on your own rather than being told, here's a list, pick from the list. Yeah. And if you're going to run this, there's going to be a lot more work for you up front just because you're going to have to help a lot of these people kind of make up their own stuff. And people can be really kind of trepidatious about making their own mechanics. Even though it's kind of just got a formula, people are still kind of trepidatious. So and, it needs a bit more handholding. Yep. And speaking of coming up with your own thing, giving power to the players 
in such a way that they are able to influence the story can be terrifying for new GMs. Um, I know the first time I ran Fate, I kind of tried to keep it on a very uh, strict track, but I was after the game was over, I realized I was doing it incorrectly because Fate allows for everybody to contribute to the story. So while it's super easy to put everybody on a railroad with Fate, that's not how the game is designed to be played. It's designed to be played in the way that everybody works together to create a story. Uh, I'll also point out, if you're the type who really likes a lot of gear porn, like in Shadowrun, Fate can kind of do it, but not super well. Unless you get really heavily into the fractal and fractal every piece of equipment out, which usually isn't worth it, it it can be a it can be a letdown for people who are used to stuff like that. Yep. Even even people coming from like Pathfinder, where they have books upon books of magic items, and it's and they're used to being able to describe every piece of equipment they have. It it doesn't really work for that unless it's a really really important piece of equipment. It doesn't really matter. Right. Link has a fractal for the Master Sword. He probably doesn't have a fractal for like his boomerang and the hook shots and the bombs and all that stuff. And Tiffany Pointer, uh, yeah, Tiffany Pointer. That's what I'm gonna call you now. Uh, Tiffany Corda <laughs> points out that you really need proactive players. Or it's gonna fall a little flat. This is a game that really demands more of players as well as a DM. If the players aren't willing to kind of engage with the system and start creating advantages, it, the GM has to do a lot more work, and you don't get as much out of it. Sorry, I've just realized I'm sitting here nodding along with you, agreeing with everything you're saying, and I'm like, oh yeah, people can't see me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, and you have to build your own feats. You have to come up with your own aspects. There's no list to pick from. Right, right. So, like, stunts and... I mean, skills, there's kind of a list, but you can add or remove from the list as necessary. But, like, stunts, aspects, high concepts, it's not like you can just say, I'm gonna pick this one. Yeah, uh, if you are planning to GM this and your players are kind of more on the I only play D&D side, it may be worth it to go through each skill and maybe make 15 or 20 stunts just so they have an idea of something they can pick from. So, I'll ask you, Ruben, because I know you have way more experience with Fate than I do. How do you feel about, for a very first Let's Learn Fate session, making characters for the players just to have them get a feel for the setting, or for the system? I kind of do that. Um, so, when I have new players, what I like to do is I kind of go through a guided exercise, where I will go, you know what, I can even do it with you if you want. Uh, sure, let's do it. I mean... <laughs> We're, we're doing good on time, so go ahead. Let's do it. All right. We're playing a fantasy game. Okay. You have you have slept in the end. You okay. awaken, and you go to the basement to wash your face, and you see yourself in the mirror. What do you look like? Um, I'm ugly. Okay. Uh, is there a reason for that? Were you born that way? Did you get beat up for that? I have really bad scars on my face. All right. Uh, that immediately brings to mind a trouble. Uh, why were you scarred? Was it something you did or something that was done to you? Something that was done to me. I'm thinking maybe someone got really angry at me for something I did and I got in trouble for it. Oh, okay. Uh, were you justly accused? I was guilty. You were guilty of this? Oh, okay. So you were guilty of this thing and they marked you. Maybe... Was it for stealing? Mm, I'm thinking, uh, for scars on my face, I'm thinking something maybe more serious than that. Um, maybe I seriously injured somebody on accident. 
Oh, okay. Well, that... All right. So that's implying a couple of things. One, I think we have a good trouble for you. You wear the, uh, like, marks of shame or marks of harm. That's your trouble. You've been marked as somebody who's done a serious harm to somebody. Okay. This probably also suggests another thing. Uh, your will, it's probably low, but your physique is probably high. Uh, when you harm this person, did you shoot at them or did you pummel them? Probably pummel them. All right. That also says that uh, fight is probably very high. Uh, we could also say maybe your trouble is a short temper. Okay. All right. So you wake up, you do your morning ablutions, uh, you go down to the inn. Uh, what are you dressed like? Mm, basic clothes. Keep it simple. People don't. I people in higher class establishments probably don't want to let me in. Uh, uh, are your clothes of good make or poor make? Probably more on the poor side. Uh, do you wear any weapons? Maybe just one. Maybe a sword or a short sword. Oh, okay. Uh, does that mean you're kind of more of a dexterous fighter? Yeah, more more likely. Okay, so we raise your fight and lower your physique. Uh, all right, you sit down, you talk to the barman, he gives you some food. Do you have any companions with you? Mm, I have a cat that follows me around. I don't know why. Oh, you don't know why? Are you good with any other animals? Mm, nope. Okay, just just this weird cat. Yeah. How important is this cat to you? Um, He only started following me a little while ago, so, I mean, he's kind of nice to have around when I'm lonely. All right, so right now maybe he's an advantage, but that might be an aspect you take later. All right, so you hurt someone. You're kind of a dexterous fighter. Uh, you're ugly. Uh, do you have a particular race? Uh, let's just stick with human. Keep it simple. All right. All right. You're human. Uh, you don't have any armor. Nope. Uh, how's the uh, how's the barman treat you? How well did you come off when you walked in? Uh, respectful, but not overly friendly. All right. Uh, so really so like so like I guess I'm a I'm a paying customer, so he's not going to be a jerk, but. I'm not, like, best friends with him. You didn't wheel any sort of extra deal or anything out of him, did you? No. no. All right. Uh, so you finish your meal. What are you going to go do for the day? Well, I probably have been wandering from place to place because most people don't want me to stick around for too long. So I guess I'll probably try and find some work. All right. When you try to find work, what kind of work do you look for? Uh, so my fight is high and I'm a dexterous fighter. So probably, like, a maybe a... Merchant guard or uh, like a maybe a bouncer type position. All right. Uh, you walk out and you're walking through the market and you see a particularly nice looking bracer on one of the tables. And the, the guard has his the uh, merchant has his back turned helping somebody else. What do you do? Leave it. I'm all right. Oh, OK. Uh, if you wanted to steal it, could you? Uh, with the with the merchant's back turned, I might get lucky. But, I mean, that, that damn cat, you never know. <laughs> right, the cat's becoming closer to being an aspect. Uh, that tells me you probably don't have um, burglary, and you probably don't have stealth. Yep. Uh, yeah, anyway, you, I can kind of continue like this, and I just take a character through the day, and what we're doing as we do this is we're filling in your skill pyramid, and we're figuring out your aspects. Yep. Yeah. That that was fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, when you said you're a dexterous fighter, that immediately think, okay, you probably have a stunt related to that. Like, maybe you're really good at disarming. Yeah, yeah. Which I'd give you, like, a disarming stunt, which is, uh, if you succeed with style when attacking somebody, you can place the disarmed aspect on them. Okay. 
But yeah, I mean, that's one way to do it. The other way, so the other way when you're making characters that you can really kind of do this is everybody sits down, them come up with their high concept. And it doesn't even have to be greatly worded at this point. It just needs to be some sort of high concept. It can even be, I am a human fighter. Have them fill out their top skill, the skill they're best at, and then just start playing. And as you start asking for roles, let them fill in their skill pyramid as they want. But I would just like to point out, this just, this just kind of shows the incredible flexibility of Fate. Like, we were playing Fate without ever actually, like, we didn't roll dice, we didn't make character sheets, like, but we were still playing Fate, right? So, it's, that, that kind of blew my mind, to be honest. <laughs> oh, awesome, yeah. Yeah, I mean, at any point I could have asked for a roll, and depending on how I felt, how saucy I felt, we could have had the roll dictate what your skill rating was. All right, well, how do we feel about Fate? Have we covered it well enough? Yeah, I think so. Uh, we covered all the borrowing stuff already. Yep. Uh, I just I want to I want to point out you can port aspects into any other game system. They're pretty standalone, and all you have to change is what invoking our uh, compelling aspect does for that system. Like in D and D five E, maybe invoking an aspect gives you advantage, and having it compelled gives you disadvantage. And oh man, that's such a great idea. <laughs> we Weavy Myths plays fake characters as we go. That would be fantastic. Maybe maybe as a patron's reward, we could do that? Oh, that'd be a great patron's reward. I'd totally run that. Yeah, so we'll, we'll keep it in mind. Uh, right now, uh, before we move on to Game of the Week and Question and Answer, I will say that um, we, are, we are aware that we have um, several patron episodes that we still need to do. Um, we're probably going to wait and do them after season two ends. So we'll probably use them to kind of fill the space between seasons is the plan. Yeah. Now I want to do an all patron fate play as you go game. That would be awesome. I would definitely sit in and listen for that. Oh, you can even play. That's the great thing about fate. I've handled tables of eight players before. All right. So let's move on this. So we're going to move straight into the game of the week. This week's game of the week is Fate's Frozen Frontier being run by Call Me Fate. Fate's Frozen Frontier is a Dungeons and Dragons 3.5 edition game where the party is a hardy band of adventurers who have already made something of a name for themselves. A merchant guildmaster named Aceus has summoned the party to help with an undisclosed problem. So, of particular note, the heroes for this game are going to be of extremely high power level, boasting a starting level of 4 and a 34, that's right, you heard me, 34 point by requirement for stats, the heroes of this game are certain to be real heroes. I can personally speak to Call Me Fate's skill on Mythweavers, and I am happy to give a wholehearted recommendation to this game and her. Applications for Fate's Frozen Frontier closes on... March 21st, so be sure to get those applications in quickly. The Arctic North calls, and you should heed the summons. Man, all I read was a title, and I thought that was going to be a fate game. We were, like, just super on theme. I I looked, and there's not really any fate games going on right now. I, uh... I may or may not be dropping a fate game in the next month. There's a, there's a couple recruiting. Um, I wasn't particularly impressed with any of them though so yeah that's a little spoiler for the people listening <laughs> fake game in the works 
All right. So now we are going to move on to everybody's favorite segment of the evening, the question and answer segment. Um, so you can ask us anything you want. Uh, it can be about Mythweavers. It can be about uh, any game. It can be about fate. It can be about things we've talked about in the past. It can be about things we're going to talk about in the future. Uh, feel free to ask us anything you'd like. Um, but first, we have the mandatory question, which is, what's making us happy this week? Ruben? Oh, all right. Um, so I'm back to playing D&D with some old friends. The So when I originally moved to Portland... We had a HOA meeting like the day after we moved in and I sat down, went to the meeting. One of the guys just must have pinged my radar or something because we got a coffee afterwards. He's still one of my great friends that lives upstairs. And for some reason I brought up D&D and he's like, oh man, I used to play that in second edition. Like, oh, you should see third edition. It's pretty cool. And I pretty much got an instant group like two days after moving here. And I game with these guys for years. Uh, my depression took a little turn. A couple guys got invited I didn't really gel with. And then fast forward a couple of years, the guys I don't like left. I'm back playing with them. And I got to play Ravenloft last week. We start, oh, actually this week, uh, we start at level six. I am playing a gnome wizard from the School of Invention. He has super awesome armor. His name is Stony Tark. And... I got to blow up a bunch of werewolves with a fireball, and I haven't done that in time, so it was awesome. I'm just trying not to sigh heavily at the Stony Tark thing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> his first name is, is actually Alston. It's just people call him Stony. <laughs> All right, so what's making me happy this week is I have officially put back on the schedule my face-to-face game, which is... Um, a D&D 5th edition group, and we are going to be continuing the campaign that I am working on writing using my homebrew setting, Pond. So that is coming up very soon, and I am extremely excited to get back into it. Nice. Uh, how big is your setting at this point? Um, th- so work on it has kind of stalled, um, but it's, I mean, I haven't really put like a word count or anything on it, but, I mean, you could spend quite a few days working through everything that's in there. All right. So, let's get some questions. Um, throw them in the text chat if you have them. Um, I'm going to hunt for some standby questions while we wait for that. But, uh, yeah, feel free to ask us anything you'd like. Um, Mick the Rogue wants to know, what is Ruben's upcoming fate game? Sorry, I had to go on mute for a minute. That's all right. I wasn't ignoring Pond. Pond sounds awesome, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. And once it comes time to actually put it out, let me know. I can do all the layout such for that. Uh, so, my super secret fake game. <laughs> I've actually got a couple I'm brewing. But the one I'm probably going to drop first, uh, I'm going to drop a fake fantasy game based on the 4th edition Nintir Vale setting. And I'm probably going to use a tweaked version of Pathfinder Accelerated, which uses both approaches and capabilities. Interesting. Oh, it's pretty sexy. And I'm also going to be using pretty heavy aspect permissions for races and classes. So, Chimi wants to know, why is Pond called Pond? Uh, Pond is called Pond because, uh, officially, the planet is an ocean planet. Um, if, oh, that's why. Yeah, so if if the land masses that are there were not there, it would be entirely ocean. The only reason there are land masses is because there is a pair of giant sleeping koi fish that um, 
the debris of like meteors hitting the planet and everything has collected on and has formed land masses. So if you so basically pond is literally a planet-sized pond with two ginormous koi fish in it. That's actually really awesome. <laughs> so Avarius wants to know, how about a quick rundown on Pond as a shared world-building thing? How does that work, and are there approvals? Um, so back in the day, which was a couple years ago at this point, um, I ran a game called Welcome to Pond, which part of the requirement to join that game was to write something for the world. Um, I have kind of given up on that process of accepting things into the world because it, the game itself suffered because of how huge it was. The game was so big. Um, however, if people want to send me things to put into the world, they are more than welcome to do so at any time. Um, I'm not really super strict about it, but I do care that it as at least makes sense within the world. Like it doesn't contradict things that are already established. Um, oh, mate. Oh yeah, go ahead. I have I have some stuff I totally got to send you. Okay. A halfling nation built on the back of a giant sea turtle. That would definitely fit. I I'm not sure where, but I that definitely would fit somewhere. <laughs> Uh, they're very, uh, very Polynesian in flavor. Gotcha. So, so yeah. Anyway, there's not like an official like review and approval process. It's more like just send me what you've got. I'll look at it, and if it looks good, I'll put it in. I got a question for you, Nate. Sure. Favorite hot dog style? Mm, I'm like them. I like them with chili and cheese. Oh, so kind of a, a coney. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah, I'd like a. Actually, I like a good old fashioned brat. Mm, okay, well, I didn't know we were including bratwurst, so... We're talking all meat in tube form. <laughs> okay, so in that case, uh, I don't like my brats very fancy. I like them just plain with mustard, and that's it. Very acceptable. So... Yeah, uh, I absolutely loathe sauerkraut, so I'm... Yeah, I'm not a fan of sauerkraut. I don't like to put onions or, like, relish or anything on it. I just, I like the way it tastes by itself. I like a good brat with caramelized onions. Although, if we're talking hot dogs, I love rippers. I don't think I've ever had one of those. Rippers are hot dogs that you deep fry until the skin rips apart. Huh. That are like a good classic Coney, hold the mustard. Gotcha. Yeah, I can't do any condiments because I'm allergic to vinegar. Oh, I see. Which, for the most part, makes a lot of hot dogs very boring. Because <laughs> I, can't do, I can't do ketchup, I can't do mustard, I can't do relish, I can't do sauerkraut. Right, right. Oh, it's a terrible allergy. So, I have a question for the chat, which I will pose now. Uh, is anybody else excited for Pathfinder 2nd Edition? Chirp. Chirp. <laughs> chirp. Oh, I'm very much not the target audience. I wasn't excited for Pathfinder 1st Edition. That's fair. Um, I will agree with Chimi that I am cautiously excited for Pathfinder 2nd Edition. I want to see the rules before I make any decisions. Frankly, I think they're overdue. They had a really good run with that system, but there are refinements to make. Yeah, definitely. I think it's about time. I I have a sneaking suspicion that Starfinder is a very close example of what we should expect out of Pathfinder 2nd Edition. I think your suspicion is dead on. 
I think we're going to see the death of ninth level casters. Yeah, I could see that. Just because balance, well, I'm not going to get into it too far, but balancing ninth level casters is pretty difficult. So yeah, if you keep all the like three E style spells, you you can't already go ninth. Uh, wait. Uh, so wait. Okay. Okay. All right. Now I am going to get into it. They're going to take spellcasters and make them even more powerful than they already yes. are. That's what they needed. Oh God. That. Oh my, my god. Interest, like, I had a tiny bit of interest. My interest just went into the negatives. Really, 10th level. Oh boy. Okay, well. Hey, I, I'm look still... on the bright side. Maybe the fighter will get extra abilities for carrying gear. Yeah, I'm, I'm still going to hold out until I see the rules, but that makes me extremely pessimistic now. Oh, they're gonna remove Saber Suck. Yeah, they're not. Alright, um, so let's see. Does anybody else have any questions? And also, I'm going to keep looking for standby questions. Yes, ask this question. You can even ask me questions about recipes. Oh yeah, it doesn't have to be, like, gaming-related. You can ask us, like, I think at one point we had a 10 or 15-minute conversation about what kind of cheese we liked. So, yeah, mm. feel feel free to ask whatever you like. Cheese. <laughs> You'd be a fool not to ask me about my salsa recipe. Uh, okay, here's one. Um, how do you feel about Gestalt games? Oh, I have to think back to the days of yore. <laughs> I think they're more awesome the fewer players you have. Okay, I could see that. Yeah, that I could see that for sure. I think they're... If I'm running like a two or three player game, I think they're amazing. Well... They're more awesome the more experienced and the fewer players you have. Okay. Brownies, edge or middle. Um, edge mi all the way. Middle? <laughs> also, never buy one of those stupid-ass <laughs> edge brownie pans. Oh. You, could just, you could just cook them in a muffin tin and get the same effect. If you like edges, just cook them in muffin tins. Uh, now how about this? Lasagna, edge or middle? Don't really care. Yeah, I'm kind of of the same opinion. It doesn't matter. Lasagna is lasagna. It's a lot more homogenous. Although I do make a killer lasagna. <laughs> oh, my game group loves me. I cook a full dinner every week. Oh, yeah. I try to do that when... Sometimes, though, it's just like, we just have to order a pizza tonight. <laughs> every couple of months, my players are really nice, and we'll order pizza out so I don't have to cook. Yeah. I mean, this week I did homemade meatballs with scratch-made uh, sauce and spaghetti. Mm, that sounds good. I finished off the last of the meatballs today. I had, like, three really good meatball sandwiches. The key to good meatballs is mixing your meats. <laughs> All right. So yeah. we, have, we have time for a couple more questions. Um, I do have one here. Um, oh. What do I do if my players started barking up the wrong tree and think a good guy is a bad guy? Um, man, uh, I guess it depends on, I think it depends on how important the good guy is. That's Easiest true. solution, give him a pet the puppy moment. I.e. show the players a scene of unmitigated good from the NPC. Like if he's a noble, he's going out to give gold to the poor and he stops like a house of a sick person, asks about him and calls for his personal physician. Give him a scene that just incontrovertibly shows him as a good person. Or otherwise, go with your player's thoughts and make him a secret bad guy. 
Yeah, it never hurts to twist it like that. Like if you're pl- sometimes your players come up with better ideas than you do. So like you can just hey, that's a great idea. He should be a secret bad guy. Oh man, my best plot tests have just come from listening to the players like talk amongst themselves like, oh, I've been a secret in cold by a lich. And I'm like, that's a great idea, and I'm going to steal it. <laughs> Rule number one of GMing, steal all the good ideas from your players. So here's a question that is related to um, fate, actually. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so how would you go about handling macro actions? So like... You want to look... So, I'll use Shadowrun as as an example. You want to have the whole planning phase, right? But you want to handle that in such a way that your players don't have to go through every little nitpicky detail. You just want to say, we're going to plan for the job. Like, what action or what set of actions would you do to handle that whole thing? We're talking uh, fate in specific? Yeah, in fate. All right. Go around. Every player gets one overcome or create advantage action. So if we're taking our Shadowrun and Zapper, you can either create an advantage, which represents some lore you found, like the advantage, the guards change shifts. Or you can overcome, like the hacker going, I have their passcodes. For every success you set against a static difficulty, they rack up one advantage to use on the run. Okay. I was just, I was just curious because, <clears throat> and actually someone on the website was asking that, so. I mean, Avarius has it right. It's basically everybody gets a chance to create an advantage. And now you have aspects going into the run. Gotcha. Alternatively, you make your Shadowrunner team a character as in the Fate Fractal and have that character go up against the character of the run. Hmm. Yeah, and each player character would be an aspect. You're right, Chimi. Right, and then for the run itself, it, like so, the location would be an aspect, and like the people within the location would be another one. And and its matrix would be an aspect. Right. And I would probably, if I'm doing specifically Shadowrun, the location has skills like security, matrix, magic, lo- location... And a couple, of, it'd have like maybe, I'd actually, for like a location, I would actually use approaches, not skills. Right. And the Shadowrun group would have approaches based on all the combined skills of the players. And you just pit their, their team character against the location character. And depending on how well they do is how many free invokes they get on the aspects created. Right. And then that, that's interesting because generally in Shadowrun, like, you have one character to match up against each of the obstacles. So, like, you have a hacker to match up against Matrix, and you have a magician to match up against the magic stuff. So, like, that would give everybody a chance to shine in the run as well, and would give the players an opportunity to describe how they are succeeding and moving forward. Right. And I would literally rate the skills or approaches of the team character based on the highest approaches of all the specialists. So it's very likely your team character has a bunch of highest rated skills. And you know what I'd actually probably do? I would run a combat between the two, letting each of the characters control the team character for one turn. This would give each of them chances to inflict consequences on the other that could then be invoked throughout the run. Huh. Now I really want to do that. And just off the top of my head, I'd say a location should have at least... 
two or three minor consequences. I could see that, yeah. And probably even before this fight, I would then go around the table, ask each character what they want to do, that lets the characters create advantages that the team character can then use to invoke on their attacks against the location. Then if you really want to get fancy, you also make a character for, like, law enforcement. So, like, Lone Star has its own character. (laughs) Right, right, yeah. Okay. Hmm. All right, well, that was a good question, turned out. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, uh, use the fractal. The fractal's amazing, and none of the people use it. Gotcha. All right, well, I think we have time for probably one or two more questions. Probably closer to one. So if anybody wants to sneak in a last-minute question... Uh, now's the time to do it. As for what I would do for a Klondike bar, not much. Yeah, not a fan. I mean, it's vanilla ice cream covered in, like, not great chocolate. <laughs> yeah, Chimmy's got it right. I'd pay, like, $2. Eh, I might pay, like, is it half off? Oh, if it's a hot day, yeah, I'll pay $2. Well, I got a question for you, Nate. Okay. Are you are you more or less excited about fate after this episode? More. Way more. Um, like, I, I knew about Fate, and I've kind of used it in the past, but I didn't really understand the system as a whole until now. And now that I understand, like, how the system actually functions, I'm way, like, yeah, Various says, I need to run and or play a Fate game now. I probably have at least one Fate game I could probably slip you into if I had to. Jimmy has a question. Oh, yay! (laughs) Oh, jeez. Jimmy wants to know what fate game am I going to run. You know what I'd actually love to see you run, Nate? Sure. Diaspora. Okay. It's kind of hard sci-fi. Ooh, I'm a sucker for hard sci-fi. And it has really cool... So you make up a, a space region, and it has rules for creating where the jump gates are between planets. Yep, man. Okay, I, 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 the idea sounds amazing. I have to reel myself in, though, because right now I do have one game that I'm, um, I'm re-recruiting for. I'm adding a couple people in. We've had some drop out. So I'm, I'm working on that recruitment at the moment. I had another game just start a couple days ago. So I'm, as tempting as it is, I have to hold off for the moment. <laughs> I think I'm going to, uh, so I had like a D&D game I was going to run using like the 4E setting because I really love the 4E setting. I'm just going to take all the setting write-ups I did and I'm just going to make it a fate game. I'm going to run like pure D&D inspired fate. I'm sure you'd get quite a few people at least interested trying trying to figure out like, wait, D&D without the D&D part. Interesting. Yeah, I just have to tweak the rules a little because uh, some guy just released Pathfinder Accelerated, which was Really kind of a great little D&D hack. It made great use of the fractal, too. Right. So, do we have anything else before we move on? All right, by the lack of typing in text chat, I will take that as we are ready to move on. Uh, so, before we wrap up for the evening, I would like to take just a moment to remind everyone that this episode of Weaving Myths is made possible by our Patreon. We have several tiers of rewards, ranging from us taking your topic suggestions more seriously than non-patrons, all the way up to receiving a free copy of my latest novel. Uh, we also do special bonus content for our patrons, such as Weaving Myths does Tabletop, and earlier we mentioned the patrons-only episodes... 
Um, the Weaving Myths does tabletop. Currently, there are two episodes available of that on Twitch, and the third episode is coming soon. We haven't set an official date for it yet, but it is coming soon. Uh, contributions start at as little as $1 per month, so it doesn't take much at all to show your support. The patrons over at Patreon help make this podcast possible, so if you haven't already, I would encourage you all to check it out at patreon.com slash mythweavers. One last thing I should note, Weaving Myths is, always has been, and will always continue to be free. Full episodes are always uploaded to SoundCloud within two days of the episode being recorded, and all normal episodes will always be available for download or streaming free of charge. So thank you, everybody, so much for joining us today. It's been a blast, as always, and we appreciate all of the comments and questions from the text chat. I'm Nathan, and I've been joined by the magnificent Ruben. Hello! Goodbye! Thanks for listening, and keep on weaving those myths.